today's episode of our criminal's life, we were looking at supposedly the best hacker in the world, Kevin David Mitnick. His case is quite controversial, as the influence of a single person greatly influenced the decision of his case and the people around him. Here is some background informa- information before we delve deeper into this interesting case. Kevin David Mitnick was born on the 6th of August 1963 and was convicted for hacking into several major corporations and wire fraud. His major arrest was conducted on the 15th of February 1995. If you know his crimes, do you believe he was a hacker mastermind that deserved to go to jail? Let's find out your new perspective of his crimes after this episode. This is Alvin Alexander here, sitting at a criminal's live studio on the 27th of April 2020. Sit tight, as it is now time that we dig deeper into his criminal life. Let's take a look at his early life. His parents divorced when he was three, and his mother worked as a waitress to support his family. He was an only child, and, his, and as his mother was on an erratic schedule, as he called it, he was taking care of himself most of the time. He was born and grew up in San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, which gave him the whole county to explore. By the age of 12, he figured out how to travel for free throughout Los Angeles. He figured out that the security of the bus transfer that he would buy depended on a peculiar pattern of the paper punch that the driver would tag the time, day, and the transfer slip. When he asked about the punch, the driver told him where to get that kind of punch for the paper. The bus transfers are meant to let you switch buses to help you reach your destination. However, he worked out to get for free, as when he got the punch, he only needed blank transfer slips. He knew where to get those as the bins in the bus terminals were filled with them when the bus drivers binned them at the end of their shifts. With the help of the special punch and the blank transfer slips, he was able to write up his own transfer slips for free and present it to the driver to get a free ride to anywhere. He was able to memorize the whole bus schedule system, which was one of his early experiences of his extensive memory for specific things. From the present, he is able to recall all the phone numbers, passwords, etc., all the way back from his childhood. As a child, he was also fascinated into magic, and he said that he would practice, practice, and practice until he mastered it. It was through the magic tricks that he realized his newfound enjoyment of tricking people, which inevitably, inevitably led to his career of hacking. It was during his time in high school where he encountered social engineering. For people who don't know, social engineering is deceiving people and manipulating them to disclose personal and or confidential information normally for the use of fraud. Kevin met another student who had a hobby for phone freaking, which is kind of a hacking that enables the user to explore the phone network by taking advantage of the phone system and phone companies. With phone freaking, you can retrieve any type of information that the phone company told the customer and also calls for free, which is being billed to another company, which is actually freaking me out. David's best high school phone freak hack was was getting unauthorized access to a phone switch and altering the class of the call to another phone freak. For example, when a phone freak is calling from home, he will receive a message instructing him to deposit time, as the telephone switch would believe that he was calling from a pay phone outside. These small pranks started Kevin's obsession in telephones, computers, switches, electronics, and even corporate organizations and their procedures. As a 17-year-old, he would be able to gain information from most telco employees through the use of social engineering into almost anything from either phone or in person. Now, let's look at the beginning of his career. His career of hacking started early in his life, in fact, in his high school. 
1979, a group of hackers from the Los Angeles Unified School District gave Kevin a challenge, or you could say a dare, for him to hack into the ARC, which is a computer network system at the G Digital Equipment Corporation that was developing the RSTCE operating system. The sole reason that Kevin took that dare on was to be part of the hacker group and to gain more knowledge on operating systems. The hacker group was able to get their hands on a dial-up number from the corporation, but they knew that it wouldn't be useful without an account name and password. Kevin called the system manager and impersonated Anton Chernoff, the program administrator, and convinced the manager that he couldn't log into his account. Kevin made the manager change Anton's password to something he, Kevin, would prefer so he could access it. For extra protection, whenever anyone dialed into the de development system, they must provide a password which the system administrator told him. The password was buffoon. Within less than five minutes, he was able to gain full access of the RSTCE de development system, and he was logged in with the person who had all the software privileges. At first, the hacker group didn't believe that Kevin hacked into the ARC. However, Kevin showed them, and they were astonished. The same day Kevin hacked into the ARC, the group downloaded the source code components of it. After the group received all the software necessary, they called the security of the DEC and notified them that the someone hacked into the company's network, and to make matters worse, they gave security Kevin's name. This was one of his many experiences that Kevin had people take advantage of his skills. In high school, Kevin studied computers in the computer learning area in Los Angeles. A few months into it, the manager found out that Kevin has discovered an anomaly in the operating system, and through that he gained full administrative controls of their mini-computer. Even the top computer specialist staff at the school couldn't figure out how he did that. Kevin was given an offer from the school that plainly says to do an honors project for boosting the school's security system on the computers, or receive a suspension for hacking into the school system. It was obvious that Kevin took the offer and graduated there with honors. As a congressional testimony before Senator Lieberman and Thompson, he said, I have gained unauthorized access to computer systems at some of the largest corporations on the planet, and have successfully penetrated some of the most resilient computer systems ever developed. I have used both technical and non-technical means to obtain the source code to various operating systems and telecommunication devices to study their vulnerabilities and their inner workings. On the 4th of July, 1994, Kevin was surprised to see him as a subject on the New York Times. Just over the course of one night, he has turned from a petty, annoying hacker into, apparently, the public enemy number one of cyberspace. The phrase public enemy number one is to describe people's behavior, which was seen to be damaging or dangerous to society. According to John Markov, Kevin was combining technical wizardry with the ages old gill of a grifter. Kevin Mitnick is a computer programmer run amok as he stated in the New York Times on the 4th of July, 1994. Markov continued to write and publish defamatory stories about Kevin, and received more than $1 million for just writing a bunch of these stories, and without even citing sources. One of Markov's extensive stories was that Kevin wiretapped the FBI, and another one being that he broke into the computers at NORAD. Wiretapping is an, uh, is an action where a third-party user is able to hear calls or view messages using a listening device, normally through the phone line. NORAD stands for the North American Aerospace Defense Command. The articles from Markov was to deliberately raise the priority of his case in the judicial system, as Markov consistently poses him as a threat. Markov teamed up with another person, called Shimomura, where both breached journalist ethics and the law. The duo was nearby when once three blank warrants were illicitly used to search Kevin's house.
They were there when Kevin was arrested, and they would tap into Kevin's personal phone line to listen to, to listen into his activities. Kevin's first contact with Markov was when he was writing the book Cyberpunk in the late 80s. Katie Hafner, Markov's wife, contacted Kevin to help them create the story with this side. Cyberpunk was about three hackers, a German boy called Pengo, Robert Morris, and Kevin himself. Kevin refused, as he didn't see any kind of benefit for him, but the only thing coming out of this book is defamation. Markov gave him two options, one being that he helps, or the second being that they will use any source despite it being reliable despite or not. Despite the pressing ultimatum, uh, Kevin still refused to help. When Cyberpunk was published, the book conveyed Kevin as a dark side hacker. Kevin concluded that this was to get revenge for not helping Markov and his wife for the book. It was filled with inaccuracies and unsupported information. A movie producer phoned Kevin from Hollywood, saying that they were interested about making a film about the dark side hack in Cyberpunk. Kevin pointed out that the book was filled with inaccuracies and false information. Despite that, the movie producer was still excited to create the film. Kevin refused the deal, and the money that they would get was little, especially when you're doing something that will defame yourself. The movie was eventually cancelled, and it was quite disappointing, even for Markov, as he was expecting a profit for himself. Now let's look at Kevin's charges and arrests. Kevin first encountered the law when he was 17 in 1981, where he stole computer manuals from Pacific Bell Switching Center in Los Angeles. He was sentenced as a juvenile in probation for a period of time. Probation is a period of supervision over an offender. A year later, he was caught breaking into computers at the University of Southern California and was jailed again for six months. He was caught hacking once again at the DEC and was jailed for one year. His lawyer convinced the judge hearing the case that his problem with hacking is similar to those of a drug or gambling addiction. He served at the federal prison at Lompoc, and after his release, he did a treatment to try and cure his obsession with hacking. Kevin violated the terms of his parole and had a warrant issued for his arrest, so he went low profile from 1992 to evade the authorities. For almost three years, authorities doubted Mitnick of hacking into systems from software creators, internet service providers, and education establishments, such as Netcom, Colorado Supernet, Motorola, and Fujitsu. He was finally caught in 1995, when he hacked into the computer files of Shimomura, Markov's partner of crime. After, after two months from the attack, Shimomura was able to trace it to Kevin and was able to know his location. He was in Raleigh, North Carolina. Once found, Mitnick was arrested on the 15th of February 1995 without bail. He served almost four years at the Metropolitan Detention Center, Los Angeles. On the 26th of March 1999, he pleaded guilty to computer fraud seven counts of wire fraud, and illegal interception of communication. Mitnick was then again jailed for six months at the federal prison in Lompoc, where he worked as a groundskeeper. Randolph, who was Kevin's lawyer, quoted, He never deprived owners of their unfettered use of their computers, he said of his client. He just peeked at it. Prosecutors couldn't admit they were pursuing a peeker. They had to go after the myth they created. Once Mitnick was released, he, is, he was not able to touch a computer for three years without asking his probation officer for, for permission first. After his release, he quoted this, My actions and my life have been manipulated and grossly misrepresented by the media since I was 17, he said in a statement, which can be found on the free Kevin website. My case is a case of curiosity. I wanted to know as much as I could about how phone networks work and the ins and outs of computer security. 
There's no evidence in this whatsoever, and certainly no intent on my part at any time to defraud anyone of anything. Over his course of a hacker, he hacked into over 40 major corporations. Kevin only wanted to gain more knowledge and had no malicious intent of causing damage. Thus, there was no mens rea. Finally, let's look at Kevin's new life. Kevin, currently, is an internationally recognized computer security consultant, security analyst, author, and a speaker. His annual income is 1.5 million US dollars, and his net worth is 20 million USD as of April 2020. His case was very controversial and had many factors, such as the defaming authors of Markov, influenced the media and the authorities of how Kevin posed a threat, even though he was only a hacker nuisance and had no intent for harm or to steal money from the corporations he hacked into. We have now reached the end of the episode. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me today. Going back to the question from the introduction, after this episode, do you still think he was a criminal mastermind? His case had a large miscarriage of justice from the media. One thing that I hope you got out of this case is that always consider all the sides of an argument before concluding on something. Catch you in the next one. Until then, see you later.